Hey guys, welcome back to Esthetician on the Edge, the podcast. On this week's episode, I'm going to do a tool review, answer some questions I got from a story I posted on Instagram, and hopefully burst all of your Cetaphil bubbles. But first, I would like to thank everyone who's been going to Apple Podcast or your podcast platform, whatever that may be, and giving, um, giving me and the podcast a five-star rating and writing those great reviews. And yes, I see that I have some three and two and four, <laughs> and I might even have a one-star uh, rating. And for all of you all asking, no, I do not know who those people are. That information is not for me. And even if I did, I would not trash them in the podcast. I mean... <laughs> Stop and think about it. If you were scrolling through and you heard my country ass making fun of your MLM, you would probably leave me a shitty rating too. I mean, you can't please all the people, even some of the time usually. Let's go ahead and get started and answer some of your burning SD questions. Oh, and if you have anything you want me to address uh, that isn't addressed in these questions, shoot me a DM or you can email me at estheticionontheedge at yahoo.com. Okay, let's go ahead with our first question. What is the best conversation topics for the treatment room? Now that is a tough one because I have some clients that I've seen for so long that I feel, um, well, I'm way too comfortable telling them things that I should not be telling them. Uh, we gossip like girlfriends and talk shit about everybody. Uh, we exchange naughty memes, for God's sake. So basically, nothing is forbidden. I, w- I would say that the best thing to do with newer clients or clients that, you know, you just can't read is to start with the basics. One question that I ask all my new, at least my new waxing clients, uh, is, so what's on the agenda when you're finished here with me? It's my go-to question. And it's, it's going to work in one of two ways. Um, they're either going to say, you know, I'm going back to work when I finish here, to which I say, oh, that sucks. You know, um, what do you do? And that leads to a, a whole new conversation. Or they're going to say, you know, I'm picking up the kid. I'm going to lunch. I'm going to dinner. I'm going shopping. And then that will segue into a different conversation. Um, so that's a pretty safe question because it typically leads to pretty uh, safe answers. So you're not having any sort of weird interactions or really awkward questions. I I will tell you what I would stay away from. I might not be able I might not be able to tell you what to talk about specifically, but the things that I would stay away from are politics, uh, religion, and anything with sexual orientation. The the people tend to have such strong feelings about that that it's impossible to have a neutral conversation. So I I steer away from those topics. The only exception to my my political, religious, sexual rule is old people. Man, I don't know why I have such a soft spot for old people, (laughs) but I... I will totally let them ramble and ramble on. And the only thing I ever say is, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. No, (laughs) ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I don't know. Maybe it's the Southern. I have no idea. But damn, old people take advantage of me. Next question. Why don't most schools teach Brazilians? Ooh, that's a good one. When I first started teaching and I asked about the waxing curriculum, (laughs) I was told Brazilians weren't something that was covered under 
the school's insurance policy. Now, I think that's probably bullshit, but hey, maybe, maybe it is for some schools. But I will give you a few options of why I think schools probably don't teach Brazilians. Number one, teachers do a terrible job of teaching waxing. Now, teachers, <laughs> don't kill me. Listen, li hear me out. You might be fabulous at teaching waxing, but statistically, most most teachers aren't. That's why a lot of students come out of aesthetic school looking for more training. Well, really, any training in waxing. That is one service that most students will tell you they have zero confidence in performing. My school, for instance, that was a 15-minute class, and it was, okay, so this is soft wax. We didn't even go over hard wax. How crazy is that? Um, you put it on in this direction. You pull in the opposite direction. We watched her wax a single eyebrow while the demo student had no hair and she was sitting in a shampoo chair. And the next thing I know, it was, all right, now go back and forth and fuck each other up. And that is exactly what we did. And that also seems to be a lot of other people's experiences in school. You were taught directionality <laughs> And that was about it. And then you were let loose to, to mess up whatever you could mess up. And I think a lot of it probably stems from the fact that a lot of aesthetics programs are taught by cosmetology teachers. They don't teach Brazilians in any cosmetology curriculum that I'm aware of. Why would they? Holy hell, they have so much to learn when it comes to hair? Isn't that, isn't that the whole point of that is to learn hair? Why would they want to teach people how to rip hair off of vaginas? Now, that's not to say that all cosmetologists can't, you know, do Brazilians. I know of a few that have gone out and they hated hair uh, and they specialize in nails and waxing now. But again, even, even with people that can do it well in a room, it is different. It is totally different uh, than trying to explain to a class of 20 individuals every single step of making an appointment a good or great waxing service. Okay, second option for why schools don't teach Brazilians. Uh, schools see Brazilians as specialized training. And like with any specialized training, you have to go forth and get it on your own and, of course, pay for it. The same applies for things like lasers, uh, microneedling, and I know those are medical, but estheticians do it all the time, uh, lash extensions, even dermaplaning, hell, um, focusing on acne facials. That's specialized training. Schools basically, they, they're tasked with teaching sanitation, uh, basic skills for your craft, and how to pass the test so you can get your license and you can be a good number for them. Beyond that, <laughs> they are not making an investment. And I think that applies more to skin than hair, at least in my experience. I've seen schools drop some serious cash to get, you know, the latest and greatest blow dryers or flat irons um, or get a or to get like a, a celebrity. And I say that in quotes, stylist to come in, you know, to give a demo or hawk their own products. But if me, the aesthetics teacher, asks for a better grade of gloves, it's uh, what do you think? The school is made of money. Make do with what you have. Who cares if your fingers keep poking out? In their eyes, aesthetics is not putting money on the table. Hair is what pays the bills. So I feel like our technology and our needs in skin are constantly being put off because we don't count 
as much as cosmetology. So schools see resilience as something they don't need to waste time or money on. All right, my third option, students. Hello, students are the reason you aren't being taught Brazilians. There are so many Estes out there who are totally, for whatever reason, grossed out and uncomfortable when it comes to the thought of laying hands on another woman's private parts. And I I am not exaggerating when I say they will cry, they will throw a fit, they'll miss school, they'll go to the director, they will cite religious reasons, they'll gag. (laughs) I've had that happen. You name it and they will try to use it to get out of giving a Brazilian or getting a Brazilian. I always made the announcement like the first day of my students first week because at that point they could still drop out and not lose any money and I wanted them to know if you're in my class your ass is getting a Brazilian and you're given a lot of Brazilians and there are zero exceptions but some teachers aren't blessed with that option they don't have that support from you know up on top that will back them up so it becomes a battle to get students to do Brazilians and then it's a battle to get them to bring in models for the service all those quotas that we make you do it is for your own good but sometimes for us it is more of a headache than it is worth sometimes we just want to let you rip someone's clit from their body and then say oh this wouldn't have happened if you'd brought that model into school now if your school doesn't cover brazilians have a conversation with the director Uh, ask them why or ask when you tour the school if you're not in a school yet Uh, know ahead of time or maybe they offer a class that for a little extra cash you could take it and be certified it is absolutely something that needs to be taught at school but I, i don't see it being a part of the core curriculum anytime in the near future because believe it or not it is a lot of trouble to bring it into a classroom setting all right on to the next question what are some otc products you recommend to a client and what do you think of the brands at sephora there are so many brands that i would recommend um let's see uh cetaphil cerave vanillico neogen drunk elephant dermalogica um let me see peter thomas roth uh, sk2 la roche Passier, panoxyl uh, love dr wonders pimple patches um shiseido tony molly my god there are tons like literally i could go on and on professional ingredients and otc ingredients they're sourced from the same places so for me if it's a good formulation it's a good formulation. I don't care if my esthetician sells it or if, you know, Sephora sells it. I did not drink the professional-only Kool-Aid. I am skincare woke, and you should be too. As, as far as Sephora, you know, they sell some great brands and then they sell some crappy brands. It just depends on how your skin likes it. I'm about good skin. It, it's nice. Don't get me wrong. It is nice having people buy my products and use my products. But if they love what they're using, keep on using it. I'm fine with that, as long as you're using something. The only exception is people that are DIYing skincare. That's just stupid and dangerous. Unless you're a cosmetic chemist, and then, you know, keep on DIYing. Okay, next question. Where can I learn to do extractions? 
Okay, first of all, they should have taught you how to extract in school and you need to go back and complain to whoever is in charge of your program. Extractions are the best thing about a facial. And I spent a ton of time letting my students, my little serial killers, poke and prod and try to kill one another with a lancet and an extractor. It's probably too late at this point to do anything about it school-wise. So I would suggest you find a mentor in your area or even in your own salon or spa. Find a more experienced esthetician and ask them to show you and coach you through doing it. And then let them watch you do a few because extractions that are done poorly or too aggressively can cause so much damage. Don't attempt to do them on your own until you've been properly trained in how to do so. All right, next up, how do you get bumps out along the jawline that won't budge like congestion under the skin that depends on what the bumps actually are if it's amelia lancet extract it if it's a cyst leave it alone or go to the derm and let them take care of it if it's a true cyst you know if you've ever watched dr pimple popper that there is a sac that is attached and it needs to be removed or it'll just keep filling up i think what this question was about were those little flush colored uh, bumps that they never get too big but you can see the texture and you can feel it, but they never get to the point where you can pop anything out of them. Now, what I tend to do with those type of bumps, I, I lance them. When I say lance them, I mean, I, I literally just open the top of the skin. There's no blood or anything. I don't dig down in there trying to remove something. I just kind of pop a hole in the top of the skin. And then I do, I, I honestly hate to even call it an extraction, because I just take the loop of the extractor and press really quick to see if I, you know, anything comes out. Sometimes I'll get like a little kernel, not quite Amelia, um, but most of the time nothing comes out. And then what I do after I have lanced them is that I come back with a little bit of a stronger exfoliator than what I would typically use in a fluffy facial. I do like an enzyme, uh, a layered enzyme, or I do a peel. Usually within a couple of days, they'll see about 50% clearance. And then within a week to two weeks, most of them are gone. Now that works for most clients, three quarters of my clients. That works every single time. I do have some that are, it's really stubborn. I think it might be more of a, a gut problem than an actual on top of the skin problem. You can always refer them to the dermatologist, but a dermatologist is really, for that kind of thing, it's not considered medical, so they probably won't want to treat it because it won't be covered under insurance. So, okay, next question. How do I find a good esthetician if I don't live in your area? Ha <laughs> ha! First of all, thank you for the vote of confidence. <laughs> but seriously, you'll want to check out some of the Instagram pages of your local skincare therapist. You should get an idea of the type of work that they typically do, what their uh, general client base is, and what products they use. I, I wish I could tell you to Yelp it, but reviews really won't give you a good idea of how talented an esthetician is. I know good ones, and they don't have a single review. <laughs> and I know terrible ones who have like 50 damn reviews. So yeah, reviews aren't really something that you can go and look at. 
and get an idea of what you're going to get in a treatment room. I, I would suggest if you can't find anything or you can't find the information you want on um, through an IG account, ask people you know if they have an esthetician that they'd recommend. And most places will book you a free consultation so that you can go in and feel them out. That'll give you an opportunity to see if you, you know, if you and the esthetician get along in person. Sometimes you just don't click with people. That doesn't make them terrible. That just makes them not your people. Personally, I don't get facials because I hate them. But I do get my hair done occasionally in a massage. And I take full advantage of the free consultations. Um, I enjoy meeting a person in... I enjoy meeting a person before I let them do a service. I, I'll tell you, one of my biggest pet peeves is um, smokers doing any of my beauty services. I can't stand it. And I know that sounds pretentious as fuck. But I, it's just that smell. I cannot deal with it at all. But I would rather thank them politely during a consultation and tell them, you know, I'll get back to them than to get up and leave during a service because they smell like a pack of Marlboro Reds. All right, our last question. How do you stay motivated in the industry? <laughs> oh, shit. To be honest, it is hard. And, and it's not that I don't love doing services. I I just don't love the entitlement a lot of clients come with nowadays. The constant having to justify my prices, accommodate lateness, rudeness, nastiness. It is a drain on my soul. Our industry overall has grown so much. Uh, and I think in that expansion, we lost something integral to what kept a lot of us Estes practicing for 20 and 30 years. I don't know if I have many more years left in me if the industry keeps spiraling toward cheaper and cheaper services with no regard to uh, quality or, you know, no regard to how you treat your service provider. I do this podcast and I make memes to share my frustrations with you all. And, and that is motivating. Um, this year, I've decided I'm going to Vegas for the show. If we all don't die from the coronavirus first, uh, I'm looking into new product lines, I'm trying new waxes, and I'm looking to bring on services that might be, you know, fun and something new to keep me motivated. I also try not to compare my success with the success of the people that I follow on Instagram. You know, when they post... <laughs> When they post shit in their stories or on their grid and it's like, hey, I'm booked out until June. <laughs> and here my ass is sitting in my room with like a Sudoku uh, working on puzzle number 20 because I don't have any clients for the rest of the week. Yeah. Basically, I'm motivating myself by staying in my lane, but trying my damnedest to widen that lane with new aesthetic experiences. All right, that is enough questions. Let's let's talk about Cetaphil or Cetaphil, either or. Cetaphil, Cetaphil. I I see so many posts about toxic sludge and Cetaphil that at this point I honestly don't know if it's possible to unroll my eyes from the back of my head. But I guess everyone else's definition of toxic and sludge might be different than mine. But just to make sure that, that I knew what the hell I was talking about, I went to Webster and, and I looked up toxic. It is containing or being poisonous material, especially when capable of causing death or serious debilitation. Then I did a cross-search of deaths, illness, and serious debilitation 
that were documented caused by Cetaphil. Can you guess how many I found? Thousand? A hundred? Ten? One? You would be wrong. I found zero. None. I mean, if you drink it, I'm sure you're going to die. Or you're going to have a very sore, <laughs> overworked sphincter. And, and then maybe vaguely be wishing for your death. But either way, I think toxic, as you all are labeling it on your Instagram grids, that, that's a bit on the um, fear-mongering way of advertising. And I don't think we should be doing that as professionals. But anyway, d- just to give you guys the benefit of the doubt... I looked into Cetaphil. I wanted to know what is in this bringer of death and destruction that so many estheticians hate. So let's take a peek into the original boring Cetaphil cleanser. First up, we have water and then cetyl alcohol, which is just an emollient slash emulsifier. And then we have propylene glycol, which is a humectant slash emollient. We have sodium lauryl sulfate, which is a surfactant. We have cereal alcohol, which basically in this formulation is a thickener. Uh, we have methylparaben, which is a preservative, propylparaben, which is a preservative, and butylparaben, which is a preservative. So it is literally full of emollients, preservatives, and a detergent. <laughs> Show me, guys, show me the chaos and the death and the toxicity in that bottle. Please show me. Is it the, <laughs> is it the propylene glycol? Is that what is scaring everyone? The ingredient that they use in antifreeze? What? OMG. Galderma is trying to kill us, guys. Um, okay, well... <laughs> If Galderma is trying to kill you by using propylene glycol, then so are most wine manufacturers, packaged food companies, bakeries, soda companies, and liquor companies. It is in literally everything. And you haven't died yet. So calm the hell down. Can you die from propylene glycol? Yeah, of course you can. You can die from water too. The poison is in the dose, and since your body processes that ingredient in and out within 48 hours, I think you're going to be okay. Now, I'll give you this. It is an antifreeze, but we'll also just ignore the fact that so is water. (laughs) Anyway, most companies have switched to putting the propylene glycol in their antifreeze for a great reason, because... It's not toxic when ingested in small amounts. Unlike its badass brother, ethylene glycol, who will kill a motherfucker quick and in a hurry. See, it it came to the attention of the manufacturers of antifreeze that when people were doing car work at home, they had a tendency to be, well, messy. So... All of these solvents and oils and liquids would pool under the car. Along comes the poor family pet. The pet sees a puddle. And what does a a dog do whenever it sees a puddle that's not piss? It drinks it. And then poor Fido died. Or at least it was a very expensive pet visit. So the manufacturers changed out ethylene glycol with propylene glycol. Remember, it's not toxic in small quantities. So now, 
if Fido takes a lick out of the puddle, it's not going to kill the dog. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe, maybe, maybe it is not the antifreeze ingredient. Is it the preservatives? Ugh, I hope it's not. Over and over, the scientific community has proven that parabens, they are not harmful. They never were. To replicate the results from that asinine study that all of this fear stems from, you would have to use 10 one ounce jars every 36 hours on your body. <laughs> now you can totally not like Cetaphil. That's fine. But you gotta quit with the toxic sludge bullshit. There's hundreds upon hundreds of bottles of it sold daily. And at that rate, if it were toxic, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would be dead. Everyone that's ever been to a dermatologist would be dead. And I would like to think that the FDA might, just might, pull it from their shelves if our world's population decreased that much. So relax. It is just a cleanser with ingredients that have a potential to be irritating. Just like any product someone decides to use on their skin. Like every single essential oil is a possible skin irritant. And we see those used every day in a lot of these natural, healthy cleansers. And I don't see estheticians picking up pitchforks and marching on poor eminent skincare for using essential oils. Stop scaring your clients into using your products. If your professional cleanser can't stand its ground against a $6 store-bought cleanser, well, it might be time to try some new products. Tool review time, guys. Time for the second ever SD on the Edge tool review. I was gifted a Quixonic Zoe Bliss randomly, so I thought, what the hell, I'll review it for you guys. The Quixonic Zoe Bliss retails for $149, comes in a plethora of colors. I got mine in the mint green. It's super cute. It comes in a nice, sturdy, colorful fold-out box. I am a sucker for some cute packaging, so they won me over there. The unit itself is made from silicone. It is safe for all skin types, and it claims to get 500 uses per charge. Now, I've not used it 500 times, so cannot confirm or deny that claim. Inside the box with the unit, you're going to find a storage pouch, a USB charger cord, my unit actually came charged, and it is still charged, so it holds a charge for a hella long time. It also comes with a user manual with pictures in case you're more of a visual learner, but I think even without a manual, you could, you could figure out how to use this thing. It's really easy. Now, there are two usable sides to the Zoe Bliss, one for product penetration and massage, uh, and one for cleansing, the, and the manual explains which is which. The controls are on the front side of the unit. A button in the middle turns it on, and then you have a plus and a minus on either side of the power button that lets you increase or decrease pulsations. When you turn it on, it's really, really quiet. If you press the power button twice, it does this kind of like delayed pulsing cycle. Honestly, <laughs> sorry, Quixonic, if you're listening, but if you've operated a vibrator that has dual speeds, the Zoe Bliss, yep, it is going to kind of remind you of that when you're using it. Uh, you might even flash back to, uh, to happier times. As far as cleansing, I still did my initial first cleanse manually. For my second cleanse, I applied my cleanser, I wet the Zoe, and then I started cleansing on my chin. I, I like the feel of it. 
And I did feel like I cleansed longer simply because it was fun to play with the little uh, machine. My skin was so, so clean, like too clean, squeaky clean. Uh, it also felt smooth and it looked a little bit plumper. Um, of course it did. Hello. It's oscillating at like 7,000 pulsations per minute. So it is causing a little bit of edema. As a cleansing enhancer, I like it. Now, am I going to use it every single night? Nope, absolutely not. Some nights I'm in a hurry and I just want to be done so I can go drink a Tito's and cranberry. But I, I will use it when I feel like I have the time or the need. The use that it purports is that it helps with product application or penetration. So you just kind of flip it over on the back. Uh, you adjust your pulsations to what you feel is appropriate. I applied some serum and then I started working it across my face. It felt odd at first, but I did feel like I got more coverage from my pump of serum. I, I did try to use it one night with two serums because, hey, why not? <laughs> and it felt tacky. Like my skin felt tacky and there was some um, balling or, or peeling after that second serum. So I probably would only use it with one serum. And I also feel like it probably won't work as well with a creamy serum. You probably are going to get more traction if you have like like a CE Ferulic type serum, like that kind of base. It also claims to be a facial massager and it vibrates. So yeah, I'm assuming it would massage your face, but I, I hate facial massage. So you'll just have to try that out on your own. Now let's talk professional use. I, I did take it to work to try out on one of my regulars. I used it to work in her serum and she loved the way it felt. Uh, oh, uh, oh, and I forgot it, it did spark a conversation. It, it was a conversation that was totally inappropriate because, hey, it sounds like a vibrator, but it also ended up being kind of product centric as well. Of course, after she quit marveling over the fact that it sounded like something that she had in her uh, nightstand at home, she started asking questions about the serum I was using because I was using a different one rather than the creamy that I, I normally use because of the texture. She, she was intrigued enough that I gave her a sample, and I imagine that when she runs out of her creamier serum that she will replace or buy another serum to go with that. Overall, I enjoyed the Quicksonic tool. I like that it can be cleaned and disinfected and that there is no brush to replace like with the Clarisonic. Uh, it's easy to use, it's easy to clean, and those are winners in my book. I, I don't think I would ever use it in a treatment room, though. I mean, it's perfectly capable of being used that way. And you might feel differently if you purchase one. I have one of those little beauty bars that I use for serum penetration, and it works well for that purpose. And it's a lot easier to clean and to dry. My only disagreement with Quicksonic's claims is that it's safe for acne clients. Personally, knowing what I know about your average client, there would be too big of a risk of spreading bacteria or just using it too aggressively and causing irritation. I would not suggest it for acne clients, period. It, it, was a, it was a fun little tool to play with. Now, can I live without it? Of course, I can live without it. I mean, it doesn't mean I'm not going to use it, but it probably wouldn't have been something that I would have purchased on my own. Uh, if you've got one, let me know if you agree or disagree with my review. All right, it is that time. It is time for our Pam of the Week. And our Pam of the Week goes to at Emma Landman underscore. 
And she says, uh, so I used to work in a rather fancy hotel chain in Australia. And while the Australian Open was happening, I was visited by a rather well-known international tennis star for a pedicure. Oh boy, was she hard work. You guys got any guesses on who this tennis star is? Yup, Serena Williams. And let me tell you, she is a Pam for sure. At Emma Landman underscore says, first of all, she made us call her Miss Shade. And she asked for an appointment at night, which wasn't a problem. The only problem was I had no idea she was coming until our lovely receptionist let me know that she was ready. I quickly set up and I take her through to the pedicure area. So I soak her feet and start making conversation and she just completely shuts me down and said, do you mind if I watch my iPad instead? Uh, yeah, sure. A little rude, but no problem. So she's watching this program and it's some sort of brainwashing religious children's show. It was super creepy. And she's just sitting there watching it going, "Mm, yes, this is so true. It was super weird. Anyway, the rest of the petty process is done on a table. So I take her over to get her settled. I shit you not, spent about 10 minutes readjusting the bed for her until she's comfy. I finally get her situated and then she's like, I hate this music. Turn it off. Oh, and while you're up, I need a blanket. It was just the way she was talking to me like I was a peasant. But I put on my happy face. Of course, Miss Shade. Anything you need, Miss Shade. After that fiasco, she's still watching her creepy TV show and says, I'm just going to put my headphones on. Okay, cool. At least I don't have to listen to this creepy shit anymore. Uh, When it came time for her paint, she of course chose the palest color. Two coats of color wasn't opaque enough for her. Three coats, still not enough. I then explained to her that it is supposed to be a sheer sparkly nude, but Miss Shade was not having it. I ended up doing five color coats, and yeah, it looked horrible. I was 19 at the time, so Miss Shade had zero trust in my abilities, even though I had been doing beauty for years at that stage. Needless to say, I don't work there anymore, and now I have a grudge against Serena. (laughs) I think we all, we all will carry a grudge for Serena for you now. Okay, that is the show for today. Thank you guys for listening. If you have any topics or anything you want to discuss, please reach out via DMs or at estitionontheedge at yahoo.com. As always, wishing you a Pam-free week. See you next show.